Support for IPR comes from Patrick Free Law, a business law firm offering technology agreements, intellectual property law, privacy law, and more. Proudly supporting quality local journalism. Online at patrickfurrylaw.com. It's River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Well, we've all heard that line, perhaps from movies or TV shows, multiple times. Police officers read people their Miranda rights. And they say as part of that, if you can't afford an attorney, one will be appointed. Well, what's not mentioned is that you may get a huge bill for it. That's right. In reality, legal representation is rarely free. The U.S. Supreme Court found that the Constitution guarantees the right to counsel, but allows states, in most cases, to try to recoup that cost. More than 40 states do so. That's according to a 2022 report by the National Legal Aid and Defender Association. Now, an investigation by the Marshall Project found that Iowa takes these efforts of recouping these costs to extremes. Not only does our state impose some of the highest fees in the nation, affecting tens of thousands of people each year, it also charges poor people for legal aid, even if even if they are acquitted or the cases against them are dropped. In fact, some people told the Marshall Project the aftermath of exercising their right to counsel was so bad they wished they had refused the services of a lawyer altogether. In just a moment, we'll be joined by members of this investigation by the Marshall Project. But first, let's talk with an Iowan impacted by public defender costs. Joining us on her lunch break, Cindy Ehrenhard, Iowan an Iowan impacted by public defender costs. I, I spoke with her uh, uh, yesterday. Cindy, welcome to the program. Hi. Well, where do you reside, first of all, Cindy? Um, I'm actually out of Wapolo County, which is um, Ottumwa, mm-hmm. Ottumwa, Iowa. Yeah. Tell us the story of how you came to have to turn to a public defender. Where do we start? Well, um, I guess um, I was in my mid-30s, and I was just kind of going through some stuff in life, and um, um, I having a bit of uh, issues. I had some issues with substance abuse and um, alcohol and things like that, um, and uh, I wasn't working or anything, so I, I uh, you know, was just kind of... I just was doing things that uh, were criminal, and I ended up getting involved with the law um, a lot, all at once. Yeah, and, I understand. Uh, I understand shoplifting, one of those things, then also yeah, some yep, yep. Uh, some some problems with uh, methamphetamine, um, some other um, some other charges in there. So that's what we're talking about: uh, drugs, uh, shoplifting, assault, theft. Yep, yep, yep. A lot of theft. A lot of theft. Um, I just kind of, that was just kind of my route, route to survive. Like, um, uh, you know, like I talked to um, one of the ladies before about my case. Um, it was kind of, um, the drugs kind of fueled it. And then the thefts, I just kind of got like a certain high from that as well. Yeah. So I kept repeating it, you know. Right. Um, and, and finally, finally, um, you know, I, I started having uh, brushes with the law um, quite a bit, mainly for the thefts. Um, and, um, I ended up, I was in jail kind of in and out mm-hmm. for a while, mm-hmm. um, was going to go to prison or whatever. I kind of knew that I was, 
Um, and then I ended up getting, um, a lawyer that I got, um, ended up kind of referring me to a substance abuse drug court program, um, that's out of, uh, Ottumwa here and, um, and it saved my life. So, yeah, we've reported uh, we've reported on these so-called drug courts and how successful they are. But you're a case in point. This was, I mean, you were in a really bad spot legally and otherwise in your life. The drug court yeah. pulled you out of that and and helped you get back on on, on track. Yeah, really. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it just kind of started out like I mean, when I got out of jail, I didn't have a social security card or a driver's license or an ID or anything. So it just basically started me fresh. Um, may, you know, and, and I think with the drug court thing, it was kind of like I had to go to court once a week in front of the judge. And, um, you know, there was a lot of things I had to do, like treatment and groups and, and things like that. Um, just to kind of keep me, and I was on like a drug color line program where like they call like a color and I had to go in and immediately and drop mm-hmm. a UA. Um, and, and I, and it's a, it's an extensive program. It, it lasts about two to, two to three years. Well, yeah, Cindy, we're so glad that it was helpful to you, did as it is was designed to do. Let's get back on our track, talking about public defender costs. Wh- where do we go now? You were asked, as <laughs> as we know, uh, you know, w- w- would you, you, uh, you can have representation by a public defender. You accepted that. When did that, and how did that come back to haunt you? Um, I mean, I really feel like it, you know, I mean, you, you like you said that, you know, like you uh, have a, an opportunity to have a one appointed to you if you can't afford one. Um, to me at that time meant like basically I had to have a lawyer. So, and I didn't have any money to have a lawyer. So like, I mean, what else am I supposed to do? I didn't really have another option, Yeah, you know? So I basically just had to, they just hand you the paper when you go to jail, here's the paper, fill it out and then they'll get you a lawyer. So, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how that goes. They're not like, Hey, uh, there's no other option, you know. Yep. Apparently, when you go to court, you have to have a lawyer. So, mm-hmm. when we talk about these costs, uh, how much uh, how much are we talking about, and and who came to try to claim them from you the first time? Well, and at the point, I I felt like when I filled out the paperwork, it was just like basically going off of my income or something, and my income was zero dollars per month. So, um, you know, I I I didn't I had no idea. Yeah, I, I had no idea what I was being charged. I mean, how how much do you owe? Um, or, I did owe like around twenty eight thousand dollars. I think I'm down to like twenty. Right twenty eight thousand dollars, and can you can you you reference this? Give us an an estimate of of what your income is. Uh, you know, twenty eight thousand dollars. If you're you know if you're making a couple hundred thousand a year, is not a big deal. But you're not. Yeah. No. No. Um. I actually uh, am fortunate that, um, you know, once I got clean, I was able to kind of get my stuff together and I got a fairly decent job. Um, I guess my annual salary is probably last year was like 75. 75,000. Very good. And I mean, Mm -hmm. that's more than I've ever made in my life. So, And you've been paying this back over the last few years from 28,000 down to, you said 20. Thousand, right? Yeah, give or take, give or take. Yeah, right, so, right. And this is all together. This is all together. Um, and I recently, like, I, I first reached out. Like, there was like a program through this legal aid service that could help you with the um, things that fines do. Like, you know, like I can't get my license, or I can't register my car, or I can't, you know, do this, or can't do that. Um, you know, I I feel like uh, a lot of times I'll get a lot of mail from the um, 
IRS, you know, like saying, hey, I think I just got one like a couple weeks ago. You owe 20 some thousand dollars due like right now. <laughs> you know, like I don't know. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't have that kind of money. So, so there are a lot of a lot of implications for your for your life of having this debt, as you just listed there, uh, not being able to get a driver's license. I mean, to operate in our society, you need a driver's license, basically. So, so, so they have ways, uh, ways of of making it making you pay this back, which you have been doing. Yes, yeah, they do, and uh, you know, and I'm not a hundred percent sure because I mean, I haven't like looked into it that much but i'm pretty sure that they charge interest on this i you know if it's in a collection because all mine are in collections yeah. so and i i'm making payments on it to you know like you know i was doing 50 i'm gonna start doing 100 a month i finally paid off my license fees or whatever but um a, a pretty hefty price to pay yeah. you know as I mentioned at the outset, that this, the Marshall Project, and we'll talk about talk with two of those involved in the investigation uh, after we we finish speaking with you. Uh, I mentioned that you know after exercising their right to counsel, they talked with people that said they wish they had refused the services of a lawyer altogether. Are do you do you wish you had said no to a public defender? Yeah, like I told Lauren, um, the public defenders that I had, the it was mainly just one, um, really didn't do anything for me, mm. really at all. Like, I mean, I, I didn't really feel like there was a lot of communication there. I mean, I'm sure he had like, you know, this is a time where there's a lot of crime. I'm sure he had a million other people right at next, right after me, you know, like, hey, yeah, you're blah, blah, blah. You can plea or you cannot. They just give you like a couple options. But personally, I think, I mean, I probably would have been just as successful as if I just represented myself. Were you <laughs> not knowing the law? I mean, I don't know really yeah. what, how much more. You know, were you even at a, at a in a state, of, you know, a mindset uh, with um, your life no. to, to represent yourself? Was that I really mean, an option? I mean, no. I mean, I wouldn't have. They probably wouldn't even allow it. You know, I mean, I, I I'm not an expert on the criminal system, obviously, but. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I for the money that it cost, you would have thought that um, you would have got a, a good lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know. Well, thank you for letting us talk with you. What are you, what are you, Cindy? What are your takeaways from your experience? Uh, and what would you say people should most pay attention to when they get themselves in some legal trouble? There are some charges, and they are asked this question. Um, you should definitely pay attention to um, the legal representation that you're getting and um, obviously what you're paying because, I mean, I, I went through the whole process not knowing any of that. And then when I finally did get the paperwork and I finally did sit down and realize, like, hey, like, this is this is crazy. Yeah. Like, this is crazy. Like, it's almost I don't want to, like, put words anywhere or put words on anybody, but it's almost kind of criminal hmm. in the sense to me you know to me i'm not saying like you know these lawyers are crooks but i'm just saying like you know this this is it's the same yeah. <laughs> C- cindy how, how long ago what were your, your your the depths of your legal problems uh, roughly how many years uh, ago 2018 2019 2018 2019 so, okay yes, so i'm almost through my legal problems this november i'm out so I'm older and uh, smarter and wiser. <laughs> there you the go. <laughs> and, you, and you're very generous and forthcoming in sharing 
a difficult story for anyone to share, Cindy. We wish you all the best going forward. Thank you. Much appreciated. And I uh, hope that this helps out, maybe open some eyes, I don't know, or something. So, but yes. <laughs> After a short break, my conversation with the authors of this investigation by the Marshall Project, examining Iowa's attorney fee system. It's a system that affects tens of thousands of people each year and charges poor people for legal aid, even if they're acquitted or the cases against them are dropped. It's River to River from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from Patrick Furry Law a business law firm offering technology agreements, intellectual property law, privacy law, and more. Proudly supporting quality local journalism. Online at patrickfurrylaw.com. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. And we're back with more of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Well, centering really on this line that all of us have heard, be it from a movie or a TV show, when uh, police officers read people their Miranda rights and say, if you can't afford an attorney, one will be appointed. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court found that the Constitution guarantees the right to counsel, but it does, and people don't often know about this. It allows states, in most cases, to try to recoup the cost. So today, talking about an investigation by the Marshall Project, finding that Iowa takes these efforts to the extremes. Not only does Iowa impose some of the highest fees in the nation, affecting tens of thousands of people each year, it also charges poor people for legal aid, even if they are acquitted or um, the cases against them are dropped. Uh, Before the break, we heard about uh, one case featured in this Marshall uh, Project uh, investigation, uh, Cindy Ehrenhard. Uh, Yesterday, I had a chance to speak with the authors of that report. Lauren Gill is an independent journalist covering the criminal justice system. Uh, Her work has been published by ProPublica, by the New York Times, Rolling Stone, and The Nation, among others. Also, Weiwa Lee, uh, involved in this investigation, co-author here, a data journalist in the Marshall Project. And this this project is called, if you want to look look it up online, it's called If You Can't Afford an Attorney, One Will Be Appointed, and You May Get a Huge Bill. In Iowa, people too poor to pay for a lawyer are on the hook for big fees they can't afford. I spoke with Lauren Gill and Weiwa Lee yesterday. Lauren and Weiwa, welcome to the program. Happy to be here. Hi, Ben. Thanks for having me. Let me start with you, Lauren. We just heard Cindy Ehrenhard tell her story from the Ottumwa, Iowa area. Um, you start off this investigation, this article, uh, that story, with a, another Iowan, Lori Mathis of Onawa. That's a small town in western Iowa, 56 years old at the time that this happened in 2015. Uh, briefly recount that story. Of course. So when I first started looking into the attorney fee issue in Iowa, uh, Lori Mathis was a case that was raised to me that was kind of 
an example of all the things wrong with this attorney fee system. So Miss Mathis, who lives in Ottawa, as you pointed out, um, her house was raided in November 2015 when police were looking for her ex-husband, who didn't live there at the time, but he had come over for a visit. Um, during that raid, the police found like a small amount, two grams of marijuana in her house, um, even though they were looking for her ex-husband, and they charged her with felony drug possession. Uh, conviction could have put her into prison. Um, she wanted to fight this charge. She thought the police had entered her home illegally, but the problem was that she actually couldn't afford to hire a lawyer uh, her alimony and social security disability payments. She only made $1,391 a month, and that was the only income she had coming in. Um, so what she did is she did what most people would think to do in that situation is she applied for a court-appointed lawyer. And on that form, it says, you know, that they the person might have to pay back all of the cost for their attorney, um, and then the person has to go ahead and sign. So Mathis went ahead and did that. She fights the case for two years, and finally the county attorney agrees to drop it in exchange for her paying the court fees. And that actually included reimbursing the state for the cost of her lawyers. She said, I don't want to pay. This case shouldn't have been brought in the first place. You know, but it had taken up two years of her life and she really wanted to move on. So she said, "Okay, well, I'll pay five hundred dollars and that's it. Well, imagine her surprise when she gets a bill in the mail for three thousand dollars to repay her attorney fees. Um, And, you know, just to stress, like the charge against her was dismissed. Um, So fast forward. Uh, She wants to appeal this charge. She says, I never agreed to pay this $3,000. She goes through the appellate process, and then she's charged another $3,000 on top of that for her appellate lawyers. Um, She finds another lawyer who's able to get that appellate fee dropped, but she still owes $3,000 from that initial fee. The courts have said, you know, that that's okay. That's Iowa law. Um, And while she owes this fee, you know, at the same time, she's struggling to pay her electric bill. She has other things that she'd much rather put her money towards than paying back uh, the fee for this lawyer, which she thought, you know, would never cost her $3,000 in the first place. Yeah. And so to be clear, Iowa law, Iowa doesn't require judges to consider how much defendants can afford to pay. That is no part of the current equation, right? Yeah. People who have their cases dismissed or they're acquitted are actually in a worse position than people who are convicted and charged attorney fees, which is, you know, pretty notable. Hmm. Um. I want to get into the data here in a moment with you, uh, Wei Wa, but to continue here about, you know, our listeners may be wondering why, uh, Lauren, did is Iowa the focus of this story uh, when other states do allow uh, recouping or attempting to recoup these indigent fees? Um, is Iowa such an outlier here? 
So roughly 42 states do bill people to use a lawyer. And when I was looking at this issue across the country, Iowa stood out to me for a number of reasons. Um, One was that people were being charged really high fees. There was a huge variability in the fees. Um, But something that really stood out to me was the issue that you raised, that people whose cases were dismissed or they were acquitted are being charged for their lawyers. And that wasn't something that I was seeing in other states. And, you know, when I was talking to experts about this, they told me Iowa is definitely an outlier. Hmm. Wei Wa Lee, let's go to the data that you provided in this investigation. And it's interesting. Dig into this because reading this um, investigation, some counties, Iowa has 99 counties. Some of our counties have public defenders, others don't. And often is it, uh, you dug into this, the rural counties that don't have public defenders. That's right. We look at uh, data from 2012 to 2022 to really try to understand what the disparity looked like. And when we broke it down by county, what we found is on average, uh, the, the state charges about $400 uh, per case. But when you're in a rural county, that average can be $500 um, versus in urban counties that do have a public defender, that's the average is 300 so already we're seeing a disparity in there. Um, in some of the counties, uh, rural counties, to be specific, the, the average charge can go as high as $750 to $800, which is a lot more than what some of the urban counties charge for. When, when you're, let's say, in a rural Iowa county and they don't have a public defender, they turn to, who do they turn to to uh, defend um, the people who request it? My understanding is, and Lauren definitely add on to this, my understanding is uh, they'll turn to private attorneys who will take on these cases. Um, in, and it's a, it's a practice that's common in, across the country as well. Sometimes judges will appoint attorneys they know who might be taking on um, indigent defense cases. But of course, they're not working for free. Yeah. Lauren, do you want to add to the rural versus sort of urban divide here? Yeah, so um, Weiwa put it, you know, that that's correct. Um, in the rural counties, uh, defendants are relying on these contract lawyers. And in the counties with public defenders, even though we found that those public defenders have much higher caseloads, um, we found that they're actually, you know, as Weiwa said, charging less uh, for their services. And a large part of that that was pointed out to me was because public defenders are salaried. So they don't depend on the money from the timesheet that they're submitting at the end of a case for, uh, you know, for their income. Whereas someone in a rural County would be depending on all of the money uh, on the timesheet and they would be logging them more accurately. Mm-hmm. Weiwa, what can you tell us about how common these stories are, like the one we've, one we've, ones we've heard just um, here in the last few minutes? That's a very really good question, Ben. We found that from 2012 to 2022, there were more than 400,000 uh, cases, indigent defense cases, that a court has imposed fees on. 
Now, um, of all the costs that the court, the, the debt that the court have built out, um, a significant chunk of it is actually on cases where the defendant were found innocent or um, the case was dismissed, which was something that really struck us as well. Yeah. Lauren, talk more about what this means, this uh, sort of repayment, this debt uh, from the uh, attorney fees means for poor people who can't pay. Uh, Elaborate a little bit more on what it can mean for a person who is, well, just getting by already. So people who are unable to pay back their attorney fees, a number of things could happen to them. They could lose their driver's license or ability to register a vehicle, their wages, bank account, and tax refunds can be garnished, as we heard from Ms. Ehrenhard. Uh, If they're on probation, if they aren't paying back their court debt, that could contribute to them being put back behind bars. And People say that they're harassed by debt collection agencies, uh, phone calls. They re- people say that they receive a lot of phone calls from debt collection agencies that they have to fend off, and they also have damage to their credit score, so it'll be more difficult for them to kind of come back from the losses that they might have experienced from their time in the criminal legal system. Um, I think it's really important for people to know that the money doesn't go back into funding indigent defense. That funding for public defense comes from the legislature's budget allocation. So the final destination of the money that is being paid back varies, but in many counties it's put into the county general fund or allocated to the court clerk. And once the county attorney doing the collections reaches a certain amount, uh, they can actually take a cut of 5%. So it's not like this money that people are being made to pay is going back into uh, improving public defense. Wei-Wa Lee, as the data journalist in this investigative team, I want to have you comment on, on what Lauren just raised there. I know you have to you have to leave us here within a few minutes. So please comment on uh you know, I guess whether these counties uh uh are counting on recouping these fees, uh what they go to. What did you dig into in, in terms of the data there? Of course, happy to dive into it. Um what we found is the counties actually were only able to collect a very small amount of money um, from the debt that they doled out. Um, for example, you know, if when we look at 2022 data, um, the courts overall have collected about $3.5 million from people who owed um, energy defense fees. That's a lot of money, but if you look at the grand scheme of things, the court system altogether had a rolling balance of nearly $200 million um, for these fees. So it really is a drop in the bucket in terms of Mm -hmm. what the county attorneys were able to recoup. Yeah. Um, Before you have to go away, what other important data connected to this investigation did you collect? Um, Lauren has requested a lot of data from the court system, um, and something that she touched upon that we have we didn't dive into too much in the investigation is 
the court system also sells a lot of the debt um, to private debt collectors. In fact, when we look at the data that the court system has put out um, and give it to us, we found that from 2012 to 2022, the court sold more debt to debt collectors than they were actually able to collect from people who you know, owe this money, um, which is, again, quite astonishing. And I think speaks a lot to how, what the court thinks is the best way to collect the money. Weiwa Lee, data journalist with the Marshall Project. Uh, we know you have to go. Thank you so much for your input. Thank you so much for an interesting story. Take care. Okay, still here with uh, Lauren Gill, independent journalist covering the criminal justice system and uh, one of the authors uh, of this uh, investigation uh, that looked at uh, attorney the attorney fee system here in Iowa and uh, how uh, you may get a huge bill if you say, I can't afford an attorney, please appoint one. Uh, let's pick up the conversation, Lauren, uh, talking uh, about... Even if people are acquitted or the cases are dropped against them, um, they still are responsible? Or uh... Yeah, so what we found was between 2012 and 2022, Iowa charged $30 million to poor people who were acquitted or whose charges were dropped. Uh, that figure amounts to one-fifth of the total the state charged poor defendants during that decade. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned at the outset, and I elaborate on this, You, uh, how many people did you talk to or what did we find in the data that, you know, after all this happened to them and they were either acquitted or the cases were dropped, really regret exercising this right to counsel? I mean, who wouldn't, right? Perhaps. Yes. One of the overarching responses that I found from people who I spoke to was that first, they didn't realize when they signed the application for a court-appointed lawyer, public defender, that they would maybe have to pay back thousands of dollars in fees in some cases. They're facing jail time. They're scared. They're nervous. That They want a lawyer. They're not going to be thinking, oh, what might happen down the road? How much am I going to be charged? That's simply not at the top of their mind. They didn't realize that they would go into so much debt for asking an attorney and therefore stuck in a cycle where they're in danger of being penalized if they can't pay back that debt. And maybe they were wrongly embroiled in the criminal justice system to begin with. Some people told me, you know, I may have just represented myself or this wasn't worth all of the headache. And of course, this speaks to larger issues with chilling the Sixth Amendment right to counsel. The Supreme Court has said that people uh, should be appointed a lawyer, even if they can't afford one. But what happens, you know, when we see in Iowa that people are saying, I can't afford a lawyer, but I don't want one because I don't want to have to pay all this money back in years. So that clearly is going to give them pause when they're thinking about whether they're going to ask for a lawyer or not. We'll be back in just a moment with more of this conversation about Iowa's attorney fee system. I'm Ben Kiefer. It's River to River from IPR News. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. 
It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wild Card wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. And we're back with more of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. More of my conversation now with Lauren Gill and Weiwa Lee, authors of an investigation by the Marshall Project examining Iowa's attorney fee system. It's a system that affects tens of thousands of people each year and also charges poor people for legal aid, even if they are acquitted or the cases against them are dropped. The title of their in-depth article, if you'd like to look it up online, If You Can't Afford an Attorney, One Will Be Appointed, and you may get a huge bill. At this point in our conversation, I asked Lauren if it's common that many people misunderstand the right to an attorney as having an attorney that is free. I think that's a a huge misconception that we're trying to bring out with this investigation was that these lawyers, most of the time, they aren't free and people need to be aware of that. And the legislatures in states, including Iowa, should also be aware of the harms that they're causing by chilling the Sixth Amendment right to counsel. Yeah. I wanted to get to some of the justification here. And just to quote uh, from your article, um, Iowa legislators recognized they have a constitutional obligation to cover indigent defense, which is paid for by budget appropriations, uh, said State Representative Brian Losey, a Republican who chairs the Justice System Appropriations Committee. But the fees are meant to deter repeat offenders, he said. Quote, I think the purpose of that is simply to kind of hold them accountable a little bit, he said of defendants. So, I wonder what your thoughts are on uh, whether there is a deterrent effect of making people uh, pay back these court fees, as we mentioned, even where they are acquitted or the case is dropped. Well, I spent about a year reporting on attorney fees in Iowa, and I have to say that I didn't hear from one person that had they known that they would be charged so much at the end of their case that they wouldn't have committed another crime. Uh, As I mentioned, people overwhelmingly were not aware of these fees. So I don't know, you know, based on my reporting, whether that's something I was really seeing. Or I don't Mm -hmm. think based on my reporting, that was something that I was seeing. But as you mentioned, like, In Iowa, the fees are used to persuade lawmakers to fund indigent defense and allow for a broad interpretation of who qualifies. And that was something that I was asking throughout this investigation because we know that so little money is collected, as Weiwa pointed out. So what could possibly be the point of these fees? And What I found talking to the state public defender, Jeff Wright, was that the fees are used to persuade lawmakers to fund indigent defense and allow for a broad interpretation of who qualifies. So they're used kind of just to placate the legislature is what I found out. And in the meantime, people are being harmed by these fees. So it really begs the question about you know, what the point of the fees are when they're predominantly harming the people that they're imposed upon. Mm -hmm. 
You referenced the Supreme Court case. I think you, you mentioned it 60 years ago, the Supreme Court's landmark case guaranteeing the right to counsel, Gideon v. Wainwright. Um, but you mentioned that the systems that provide poor people with lawyers in criminal courts are crumbling. Um, what do you mean? How so crumbling? In the backdrop of this issue is, of course, Iowa's problems with public defense as a whole. Um, Last year, the Iowa Supreme Court Chief Justice, Susan Christensen, declared that the state's indigent defense system was actually on the verge of collapse. So that means, for one part of it, that the state is having a really difficult time finding contract lawyers in these rural counties who will go ahead and represent poor people. The number of contract lawyers has been cut in half since 2014, the data shows. Um, and from talking to lawyers in Iowa, what I was hearing is that they don't want to work for little pay when they can go ahead and take cases where they'll make much more money. So this is so we already know that there are a lot of issues with public defense in Iowa. Um, last year, Associate Attorney General Vanita Gupta went to Iowa as part of her tour on public defense issues, and she pointed out the issue with attorney's fees. It seemed sort of like attorney fees were kind of at the bottom of the list of priorities for public defense in Iowa. There was a real concern with actually being able to even provide public defense to begin with. Um, so it was my sense that tackling the bills for lawyers was not exactly top of mind for for people in the state. So looking forward, before we say goodbye, uh, Lauren, um, what sense did you get in covering this that Iowa or other states and perhaps similar situations, are considering changes, feel that changes are needed. I mean, if you are uh, experiencing an indigent defense crisis, um, in any crisis, you you need to meet that challenge and change things, right? Did you get any sense that uh, change is coming at some point? Well, the story has only been out a few days, but we did send our findings around to some stakeholders in Iowa and Representative Stephen Holt, who is the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, looked at the findings and he said that this is nothing new. This has been a problem for years and they will be considering and this has been a problem for years and his committee in the legislature will be considering the Marshall Project's findings uh, as part of their discussions when they're thinking about legislation or another way to sort of solve this issue in Iowa. Lauren Gill, um, we've been sort of digging into the implications here and the data, but I would like to go back to the human stories. This is what it's all about. I wonder if you can tell us about another human story, another story of an Iowan <laughs> impacted here that you experienced. Sure. So I think one of the larger goals of this project was to, as you said, bring out the impact of these fees on people in Iowa. So to better understand that, I went to Des Moines in July and I went to the Polk County 
courthouse to kind of ask around about these fees and what people had experienced. I was sitting outside of probation court asking people if they had been charged for their lawyer. And some people told me that they didn't even realize it. When I looked up their case on the uh, Iowa Courts Online system, I was able to see that they had been charged. But um, one man I spoke to was Simon Muhoza Mugisha, and he took a plea deal for driving under the influence in 2022. And then another charge for marijuana possession was dismissed. And he owed the state $539 for his lawyer. And I asked him, well, did you realize that you would have to pay for this lawyer? And he said, no, I thought attorneys were free. And that's a refrain that I heard from a lot of people that I spoke to throughout this reporting. Um, But he said that, you know, he didn't have the money to pay it off at the time, but he had hoped that he would get on a payment plan. And so being outside of that courtroom and talking to people, I was trying to kind of get like an overall picture of how much money people in Polk County outside that one courtroom that day are being charged. And I found out that 15 people on the docket that afternoon owed money for their lawyer and those fees totaled $8,000. And only one person out of those 15 people had paid off their attorney fees. Well, Lauren Gill, I want to thank you for being uh, with us today. Independent journalist covering the criminal justice system, in this case, for the Marshall Project. Uh, it's really a, 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 an amazing uh, bit of research, uh, investigation. You can look it up online, the Marshall Project, uh, the title of the article. If you can't afford an attorney, one will be appointed, and you may get a huge uh, bill. Lauren Gill, thank you so much, and we'll see what kind of reaction uh, there is to your um, your wonderful, um, really insightful investigation. Thank you. Thanks so much, Ben. I appreciate your time. That conversation with Lauren Gill recorded yesterday. Well, in the final five few minutes of our program, let's get reaction to this, what we've been finding out this weekend from the Marshall Project uh, here, uh, joined now live by State Representative Brian Losey, uh, uh, Representative Losey is a Republican from Bondurant. Uh, he also chairs the Justice System Appropriations Subcommittee. Representative Losey, so great you could make time for us. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here. I think you've been listening to some of this conversation uh, to get one of the key points that's been brought out this hour, and I'll quote from the article. Not only does Iowa impose some of the highest fees in the nation, affecting tens of thousands of people each year, it also charges poor people for legal aid, even if they are acquitted or the cases against them are dropped. Give us your reaction to this finding, and perhaps other findings of this investigation that you're aware of. Well, first, I, I'm surprised to hear that we're the highest, <clears throat> excuse me, um, since our engine defense rates are generally amongst the lowest, at least in the Midwest. Um, so I, 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 I can't dispute the, the findings, um, but I am surprised to, to hear them say that, knowing where our engine defense rates are, um, it's, it's really, I'm, I'm, I'm actually very surprised by that. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, yeah, some, some people told the Marshall project in the, the after that the aftermath of exercising their right to counsel was so bad. They wished they had refused the services of a lawyer altogether. Does that reaction from many people, uh, in this investigation concern you? This is, 
demonstrating a, what we could call a, a chilling of a constitutional right to counsel. Wouldn't you see it that way? You know, I think that's probably everyone's knee-jerk reaction. Um, you know, as a lawyer myself, I, I can tell you that, you know, representing yourself probably is not the best idea. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the services that you're going to receive, uh, you know, from you know, that are provided to you from the state, not, you know, the Constitution say we'll pay for it, but that we provide it. So the services that you're provi- provided are certainly far better services than you're going to get. And, and the outcome should be far better, uh, hopefully, um, than if you were to represent yourself. So I know I know understand I understand people's um, thinking um, and, and just that reaction that perhaps mm-hmm. they'd be better better off not having an attorney. But as an attorney myself, I I, I think that's, uh, you know, that's kind of a, a, a general human reaction rather than one that's really um, based in in reality and, and what's truly best yeah. for them. So so Iowans, even those that are just getting by financially, shouldn't have the right to legal counsel when charged with an offense uh, um, without without they sh- they should know that they may be putting themselves in tens of thousands of dollars of debt, even if they are acquitted or the case is dropped. That's just the way it is. Well, in first of all, I mean, we have to also realize there are mechanisms in the law, um, in, in the code sections, both uh, code section 910 as well as code section 815, that talk about, yes, you're going to be responsible, you could be responsible for your the legal fees that are incurred to represent you through a court-appointed attorney. Um, but they're all tempered with the idea that, in, in specific language, that, that um, if you don't have the ability to pay it, then we're not going to make you pay it. I mean, if uh, we can, they can be waived. Um, you can be set up on a payment plan, which is often the case. Um, and or the court could just simply find, hey, we know you're not going to be able to pay, so we're we're going to waive that. And um, so, and, and I think, and oftentimes it, it does happen um, that that that's the case. And I, I was just talking to uh, someone who represents county attorneys. And they're not really happy with judges for just saying often too, way too often the judge mm-hmm. just says, yeah, we're not going to make you pay. So, I mean, it's yeah. it's uh, it's it's kind of a um, perspective issue at this point. We heard in the investigation, Lauren Gill said earlier in the hour that the debt paid back by defendants doesn't go back into indigent defense. And in many cases goes back to county general funds. Um, yeah. and, and most of the money people are charged for this legal aid is never recouped by the state. So the question is, why continue to charge some of the highest fees in the nation or continue to charge people acquitted of their charges if the state doesn't rely on this money? Um, first of all, um, I just want to clear, clear up a couple of uh, just clear up a couple things. Number one, we, we have just a minute. So I'll just okay, warn you I'll about that. Quick. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah we, we do collect approximately one percent. The funds that are collected other than a, a collection fee that may be retained by the county or by the department that is actually collecting it goes back to the general fund. So it really does not go back to the county. So but that's a valid question. You know, if we're only getting 1%, you know, how much should we truly be uh, investing in trying to get this money back? And that's a discussion that I'm going to be having, uh, you know, here with, with others and, and what we really need to do about that. Um, if we're not going to collect it, why do we keep it on the books? 
Right. Earlier in the interview this hour, we heard Lauren Gill say that your colleague, Representative Stephen Holt, recognized that this has been a problem for some time and that his committee um, will be considering the Marshall Project's findings as as they think about possible legislation. So you, you seem to be hinting that you agree there are some possible problems here that need to be addressed by the legislature? I, I certainly think there's there's conversations that need to be be had, um, and based on some of the findings, and uh, and I serve on the judiciary committee as well with Chairman Holt. So um, yeah, I think anytime you know we see things and we see areas for improvement, um, we need to we need to take a look at that. And I think at the least the Marshall plans uh, brought up some some questions that we need to to take a look at and and have some conversations about. Okay, very good. Uh, State Representative Brian Losey, thank you very much for your input after this um, um, uh, project here uh, that we've been looking at this hour. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Coming up tomorrow on the program, uh, we'll learn about how Iowa will soon be abuzz with not one but two special cicada broods. And it's something that hasn't happened for over 200 years. Uh, We'll hear about the fascinating and long life cycle of the cicada. Also, a legislative update. Uh, We'll learn uh, about the dangers of online romance scammers and talk about basketball sensation Caitlin Clark. Of course, she's uh, playing tonight with the rest of the Hawkeyes. Today's program produced by Danny Gear. Our executive producer is Catherine Perkins. I'm Ben Kiefer. Thanks for joining us. (music) 